The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. And I invite your attention this morning. This is going to be a little bit different for us because your Bible always has a crease to the book of Mark, but we're going to ask you to crease it today, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 18. Uh, today is a, a special Sunday, and if you were in Sunday school class, you you understand uh, today is Human Life Sunday, or or said another way, Sanctity of Life Sunday, where where we come together to remember uh, the dignity and the worth that God has given to those in the womb, the elderly, the poor, the destitute, the rich, the strong, the young, the old, every human life especially. And as we come to look at a more topical message this morning, I wanted to get a little bit deeper into this and look at the root of who we are as humans. But as you're turning there, let me just give you one more commercial. Uh, men of the church, uh, we are actually, we've rescheduled our men's dinner till next Saturday at 6.30, if I'm getting that correct, Dave and John, uh, next Saturday at 6.30, uh, move back from last week. But as we come to this topic, I just want to remind you that this topic is so important because how you view what we are going to go through will inform so much about what you do in life, how you handle life, and what life looks like for you on the flip side. So, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, my, my, my daughter is into wolves right now, like a wolf, you know, like a how, you know, that wolf sort of thing. Not KC wolf. You are already thinking red and bl- yellow here. It's not what we're talking about. But have you ever wondered how a Eskimo gets rid of a wolf problem up in the Arctic region? Well, you do now, so here we are. But basically, it's very odd. They take seal blood, and they put it in a bucket. Then they take a knife, and they put that knife into a bucket. And after this, they put the bucket outside to freeze. Then they take the knife and stick it in the seal blood, and again, and back and place it in to freeze. And they do this five times. And then, after this coat of blood, they, they stick the knife into the ground with the blade up, and they wait. Wait for what? Those pesky wolves that come around and eat all of their seals that they like to eat as Eskimos. And the wolf smells the blood and comes to eat what is now uh, uh, basically a popsicle surrounded by blubber uh, and, and blood of a seal. And that dog licks that thing until it gets down right to that pointed tip. And that pointed tip gets through their tongue. And before they feel the knife, the wolf is bleeding out, and it's too late. That just makes your day all the much better, doesn't it? But friends, I'm here to tell you today that the topic we're going to look at, total depravity, is one that will choose to be like those wolves, that we always will choose what will kill us, and that is sin. Just like that wolf will always go to that knife because of what it is. And that is unless God intervenes in our lives and saves us. But we cannot change ourselves, can we? We cannot change our bent. We can't change our natural propensity to do the things God says not to do. But praise God, he's given us the ability to be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. I love Psalm 143 and verse 2. Uh, The psalmist says to God, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no living man is righteous. You say, Darren, we're we're the Sunday morning crowd. We get this. 
Yeah, we probably do. But it's like if you, I ask you, if I put a lion in a cage and I put a, uh, a, a piece of meat and some gluten-free, non-GMO, vegan something from Sprouts, which one is that lion going to go to? He's going to go to the meat every time, isn't he? Because lions don't believe in vegan, vegetarian-style meals, all right? They like their bacon and they eat it too because that's who they are. And total depravity is like that. In our own nature, using our freedom of choice, we will always choose sin. Why? Because that's who we are outside of Jesus. And it must take an act outside of ourselves to change what's going on inside of ourselves. And this morning, why are we talking about this topic? Because I want you to see, as we celebrate human life today, as we celebrate what God has made in all of us, we need to remember outside of Him who we are and how that applies to us. And so the big idea today is very straightforward. The doctrine of total depravity simply means there's no area of your life where you can say, Jesus, I don't need you for that. That's basically what it sums up to be. And what we read in the Bible is that total depravity, being totally sinful by choice in nature, is validated even through the TV we turn on every single day, is it not? You've been watching the news. You know things happen all the time. There was, a, there was an ice skater in Kansas City. You might have heard about this, a famous ice skater who took his life yesterday down at 435 in State Line, a national skater, because he had given up hope because he'd lost prominence in the sport because of some allegations. People do things all the time that are just sad. But friends, total depravity not only informs that, but it reminds us that our dilemma is sin. But our solution is a compassionate Savior, and the result is complete forgiveness. But so often, so often, we come to a topic like this, and we look at someone who's not a Christian, and we say, you're just not worth it. Well, friends, let me tell you today, even though people outside of Jesus are lost in their sin, they are still have dignity, they still have worth, and they still have value, even outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? Christ saw that within even despite your sin. So fourth, brief things today through Romans 3, 9, and 10. And I want to give this to you pastorally because this is something that I think we all need to be reminded of as we go through these days. Four implications of total depravity this morning. First, we're going to look at the universal nature of sin, how it affects us all. We're going to see how sin, secondly, touches every aspect of our being, how, how sin affects how we as a church and people live together, and then finally, there is a sin that we cannot see. And we're jumping midship here in the book of Romans chapter 3, but, but Paul has been arguing from the very beginning that the gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. If you are a breathing, living human being, you need to know Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And that's what it comes down to. And we are ready, and we're, we're going to go to this letter because we've come to a place where we're going to be laid low today. That's the bad news. But the great news is, is that Christ has already settled it for us. And that is what we know to be true. If you're able to stand with me this morning, will you stand with me for these uh, nine very pithy, short quotes, uh, as it is through Romans chapter 3, as we read God's Word this morning. And look at this issue of total depravity, that we are sinned by nature and sinful by choice. Verse 9, Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that J both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, he's quoting the Psalms here, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they've become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive, and the venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who is he talking about here? Sounds like the Oakland Raiders, doesn't it? I'm kidding. But he's talking about every single one of us outside of Jesus Christ. May it never be so, but folks, it is. And we need to be reminded how radical we are outside of Jesus in sin and how radical we have, radically, rather, we have been saved by this one Jesus Christ in all that he's done for us. Will you join me in prayer as we start off today? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come and hear your word. Father, we're coming in here with many burdens. Father, we're coming here with financial burdens, with family burdens. We're coming in here with relationship burdens, Father, maybe job pressures. Father, we come in with lots of things. And this topic may not seem on par with many of those life needs and felt situations. But, Father, I pray as we look at our sin, we see you the glorious Savior. That, Father, even despite us, you saved us. Even though you knew what was in us, as Genesis says, you knew what was in the heart of man. Yet, Lord, you did not allow that to stop you from sending your son. Not because we deserved it. Not because we had anything good in us. We just read that. But all by your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, as we do. We pray that as we study a familiar topic that you remind us of how far we've fallen, but how far you came down to rescue us all by grace, by faith, in Christ alone. Father, we praise these, praise these things in your name and thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I want to take you first, just some quick areas, because it's been a while since we have preached on this topic, and we have preached on this before. But it's been a while, but if we don't get this doctrine of total depravity, of total inability, if we don't get what is happening here, we're going to lose some certain things. So here are some areas, and, and, and Amy's going to put these one at a time up as we go through them. If we don't get this teaching of the Bible, we're going to miss some really key things. First off, if we don't believe what we're about to study, how we disciple and discipline our children will be affected. If you disciple or discipline a child and don't believe in this, it will change the way you approach the discipline of that child. Secondly, our government. There is something about believing that all men are sinners. And because of that, people who believe that a man is basically good and has the uh, people who, 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 who believe that believe that perhaps... Just perhaps they might come out of taking life and coming out of those things, but we as Christians would say, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no changing that can ever happen. Another thing, too, is how we determine guilt and punishment of criminals. If we don't believe in what we're about to study, it will change your view of guilt and of innocence. It will change the way you view punishment for those who have sinned. Was it this person's sin, or was it certainly the way they were raised? It wasn't really their fault. It was just the circumstances that caused it. The way you share the gospel will be affected by this doctrine. If you go up to someone and simply tell them, hey, you're not that bad after all. You, yeah, you need Jesus, but you're really not that bad. Then you are going to really miss what the Bible says. And finally, this doctrine of total inability, of not having any strength in ourselves to save ourselves, we are sinners, it affects the way you hear the gospel. 
I remember going back, and uh, it's been several years ago, back in my college years, taking a survey of 1,600 people around the plaza. That's always fun to do anyway because they think you're weird, and that's, it is what it is. But I asked them that one simple question, do you believe yourself to be a good person? Only three said they were not good people. 1,597 out of 1,600 people said, yeah, I'm really not that bad. Scary, isn't it? If that is you, you don't understand the depths of your sin and the depths of your need for Christ. But if you are a Christian, hearing that you can do nothing to save yourself, when you look at your sin, you see that you adore Him in a way that is only to bring worship to your life. It is when you understand your sin rightly that you can magnify and worship Christ appropriately. And that is what we know to be true. So this is bad news today. But without the bad news, you don't understand the good news. And churches, we come, and Brother Derek, I see you back there. Derek and I went to the great establishment under heaven called Pizza Street the other day, talked about how we want to reach this neighborhood as a share team leader, and, and how do we do that? But this doctrine affects all of that. Miss this, and you miss a blessing in this life for what it is. So let's look, as we do, at the first point here about total depravity, the universal nature of sin. Did you notice what he says there in verse 9? He says, are we Jews any better off? Paul is speaking as a Jew, and he says, are we better off than you guys? By the way, he's already said that's not the case, and he goes on to list. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understand, none who seek after God. No one does good. Their throat is an open grave, etc., 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 and etc. Paul, you're not going to win the best preacher award preaching like that. You better step away. But this is the picture of us, guys, the picture that God has painted and what this means, and, and Lorraine Bootner has written well on this, and he says, this does not mean that we are as bad as we could be. This does not mean that we're entirely destitute of value, that our human nature is in itself uh, as corrupt as we can be. What it means is that we are dead. We are without any help. We are the dead casket in the body, he says. And our corruption is extensive so much that God himself is the only one who could fix us. Now that's not going to win you many preaching awards, but it ought to stir your heart if you're a Christian. How does that stir a heart? Well, it's by this way, because he is quoting to you the very words of the Old Testament. He is quoting to you Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and I, I, I want to just tell you here that these verses are so key to understanding what is going on. Here's what he says. Verse Psalm 14, 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are abominable, and there's no one who does good. And it goes on. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God, and they've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt, and there is one who does good. No, not even one. And it continues, and it's up on the screen. Psalm 53, 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no what? God. They're corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There's no one who does good. God looks down from heaven to see if anyone understands. Together they've become corrupt. When we come to this passage in the New Testament, we realize that this has been the teaching from the very, very beginning. Some of you are reading through the Bible this year, and uh, guess what? Surprise, Adam did it again. Man, he... Uh, Eve did it again. They ate that apple again. You, you thought this time they might get it right, but again, as you read it, the same old story goes on. And so what is the point? 
The point is, is that there's nothing new here. This is the same story that's been told over and over and over again because this is who we are outside of Christ. And this is what we are. Whether you are inside the Jewish world or outside the Jewish world, Paul has stated clearly to a point, you are not righteous before God. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are sinners together. So why do we try to pander to our sinful nature as churches? Why do we seek as churches to try to entertain people who themselves want nothing to do with God? But if you just bring them in and you love them, then they'll come to know God. Friends, they hate God so much, they're willing to stake their life on it until the very fact that God changes their hearts. This is why I've said so often that a seeker-sensitive church is an oxymoron. Look back at chapter 3. What does it say? There are all sorts of people who seek after God if you have the right music, the right lights, and the right preacher. Amen? That's not what it says. There's none who seek after God. No, not one. Over and over again, Paul uses that phrase, no one, not one, no one, not one, no one, not one. Because he's basically telling you, I've made an argument, now I'm going to summarize the argument, and as I summarize the argument, I'm going to summarize it again and say it a different way. And from Adam to the end of time, we are all in the same condition. We are completely and utterly ruined before a holy God. This is why, Christian, you should not expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. So often we get mad at the world because they don't act like us Christians. You know what? They're doing just what they're by birth, by choice, and by nature set to do. And so what this means is he tells them, that this is how it is. But let's be honest here for a minute. This is not what we want to believe. Would you agree with that? We want to believe that God looks at that little old lady down the street who rejects Jesus when you go up to her and somehow grades on a curve. You remember the curve, right? Some of y'all survived high school based on the curve. Amen? Come on. And you know this. The curve is when there's someone who sets the bar really high, and for the rest of us who didn't do so hot, it brings us back up. God does not grave on a curve. Somehow we want to hold to that because we feel that somehow God has to grade on a curve. I mean, there are some people who are good and some people who are decent. But folks, no one is as bad as they could be, but everyone is condemned and no one is righteous. Doesn't that change how we view the very people we're trying to reach with the gospel? It does. Second thing I want you to see here, not only is sin universal, but sin touches every part of us. That sin touches every part of us. Paul goes beyond that point. He, he's going to get into this, but he, his point is not just, just sin touches us, but it touches every aspect of us. I mean, we'd like it if, if when we got sick that it just touched like a left arm, and not if you get a cold or flu, it, it gets your whole body, right? God, if you could just like have my left pinky be sick, the rest of me would be great. That would be awesome. It's not the way it works. And if you remember... In Christian history, and this may be new for some of you, there is a, and I use this word intentionally, there's a heresy called Pelagianism. That's a big word. Bear with me. But it basically says that there's nothing wrong with you at all. It basically says, in modern terms, that you grew and you were born to a blank slate, that you decided how you wanted to live life. Now, you've never heard that before, have you? Maybe in school you've said that. You know, people aren't bad. They're just, they just, they're, an, they're a product of their environment. Well, that's true to some degree. But the Pelagians believed that 
you could have the ability to redeem yourself. That somehow through a spark of goodness in you, that you could save yourself. That somehow you had the ability within yourself to take what was lost and to make it right. Friends, what is the problem with that? We look back at your Bibles. How many does he say this? He says that sin not only is universal, but he says no one is righteous. He says that those who stand before God, no one understands. He says that those who seek after God, no one seeks. So there is a part of us that believes that somehow we are okay. There's a part of us that believes that somehow that neighbor down the street who's a really nice guy is really not that bad off after all. Christian, don't let Dr. Phil infiltrate your mind. Don't let pop psychology tell you differently. That person outside of Jesus is as wicked as Hitler, as Mussolini, and Pol Pot if they had a choice. But it's only by the common grace of God they have been restrained. And if we don't see that, we have missed this doctrine all all around. If a baby had the strength of a man and wanted to grab a watch... Oh, come on, you know this happens all the time. If they had the strength of a man and could break off an arm of a man to get a watch they would get, do you think they would get it? Oh, come on, parents, you know this to be true. Of course they would. And what he is telling them here is that no, there is no part of you that does good, not even one. But somehow we think that people are good because they 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 show they, they show some goodness sometimes, but as we talked about in our Sunday school class, friends, may we be reminded that God gives grace and the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But sin, and Amy will put this up, sin affects every part of who we are in this world. Only Christ's return will untangle and vanquish it once for all. I don't know about you, what you're looking forward to in heaven, but one thing I'm looking forward to is I will never sin again. Amen? What a joy. What a joy it will be. How do we know this? How do we know this, that it affects every part of who we are? Well, look at all the organs that he says. Notice this very clearly. Verse 13 and following. He mentions the organs. He mentions the throat. He mentions the tongue, the lips, the mouth. In other words, everything of who you are. And it's total corruption. Everything that comes out of your mouth is corrupt. Your throat, your tongue, your lips, and your mouth. Isn't that crazy? Does this mean a non-Christian can ever do good? Well, define what that good is. Outside of Jesus, we are completely and utterly lost. And, friends, this is what James James 3 says. And, And, Amy, I don't think I put this up on the screen. I can't remember if it's on the slide or not. But James chapter 3 says this, hear it clearly. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Friends, our greatest need is to see people with dignity and worth because God has created them in his image. But our greatest heart hurt for them or hurting for them should be to remember that they are not good outside of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest. A lot of times you'll say, hey, what do you know about so-and-so? And And what's the first thing you usually say? He's a pretty good guy. What does that mean? Well, we we know that means he's not going off, you know, robbing banks and, you know, stealing donuts from Quick Trip, right? We know he's just trying to, he's a pretty good guy. But if you were to put that in the Bible's context, there are no good men. There are no good women. 
the only good and worth that we have in our sin is that Jesus himself had to literally come down from heaven and save us. Oh, glory, what a thought. But friends, here is what he says, that we are not only lost, we are not only dying, we are not only hurting, but apart from Christ, we have no hope. So that's number two. It affects us all. But look at number three. Sin not only affects how we live together, how we live together. So we see that sin is universal. We see that, that sin comes out of our mouths and our thoughts. But also look at verse 15. Sin affects how we live together. Read verse 15 with me. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Whose feet? Everyone outside of Jesus Christ. This is the way they walk. They walk not in the manner of godliness, but they walk in the manner of the world. When he says the way of peace, they don't know it down in the next verse. He's saying there are individuals who have no inner peace. You know those people who do that hum, 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 that, that Eastern meditation thing. Have you seen that before? Or if you're in a coffee shop, you kind of clap, you, you, know, you do your, your snaps, or whatever it is. People say, I have great peace. They're only as peace as far as they distance themselves from the fact that they know they need a Savior. Because fallen man has fallen desires. Because he wants what he wants, and everyone else is an obstacle to his own satisfaction. So outside of Jesus, people will stumble, they will, they will, they will kill, they will lie, they will steal. Now we may doll that up a bit in a lawful society, we may put on a suit and a jacket, but fallen man wreaks havoc on his fellow man. We do that because that is what we are outside of Christ. And this will be up on the screen, but Psalm 1, 1 to 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. Walk, stand, sit. Blessed is the man who does not walk, who does not stand, who does not sit in all those places. But according to Romans 3, their feet are swift to shed blood, and they're walking in paths of ruin. And the man who they're not supposed to be is who they are. That is the state of fallen man. And it's your state and my state apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, we cannot comprehend what majesty God has given us. And let me give you number four quickly, and I want to give some application to this. These are very straightforward verses. But I want you to see it's not only what they see, but it's not only what they do, but it's, it's what they see. Look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, let me just say, this is why we cannot legislate morality in the United States. It doesn't matter what laws we pass. Although we want to fight for laws that uphold, especially for the unborn, those who have been who, who are taken from the wombs, and the greatest holocaust we have was not from 1935 to 1945. It's been from 1973, and it keeps on going every day as we lose babies in the womb and those sorts of things. But even the greatest legislation of overturning all the things that overturn can never legislate a heart. Look what the verse says. There is no fear of God before their eyes. doesn't say there's no fear of God if you pass the right law. doesn't say there's no fear of God if you just get them in the right frame of mind. There is nothing in them that fears the Lord. They want their sin. They love their sin. They want to exalt in their sin. It's like a pig jumping around in mud, man. Give me that slop all day long, and I'll just roll around it. I'm happy. Don't need a bath, and I love it, and that's what it is, and that's what he says. 
we have all sinned. Not only that, but the evidence is through our mouth. And we see that. And as a man walks, the evidence is that he wants to do everything that's different. And this is why, and Amy's going to put these up, you cannot educate a man from this. You cannot argue a man out of this. You cannot discipline a man out of this. You can't coax a man out of this. The only way you get a sinner to believe in Jesus Christ is for God himself to come on that heart and to save that person. There's nothing you or I can do about this because the blinders on, their eye, on his eyes are supernatural and the only one who can take away supernatural blinders is a supernatural God. Friends, and please hear me clearly. There will never, ever be a fear of God before their eyes. Look, I love, I, you pray and you vote and you do those things, but our trust is not in who gets into office. Your trust is in a God like Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, walking through the valley of dry bones. And God asked him, can these dead bones live? And Ezekiel knows God can do all things, and Ezekiel also knows he doesn't want to be presumptuous, so he just simply says, Lord, you know. And God can raise up those bones. Friends, we need to be in every sector fighting for the lives and dignity of people of all races, ethnicities, shapes, and sizes. We should be doing that even if it means it's on our own block where we live or our apartment complex or our workplace in our context. But one thing is true. We cannot change a heart. We cannot legislate a heart. We cannot put the right parameters around a heart in such a way that they come to know Jesus Christ. But here's what we often do, and I'm guilty of this as well. We find someone in a sinful condition, and we try and compromise with them. We find someone, and we try and clean him up on the outside. You know, if we can just get him a better job, then he'll be all right. We find someone like this, and and we tell them, don't talk like that. That's bad. Don't say that stuff. God doesn't like that stuff. And if we get him in the right condition, because we we modify his behavior, what you've done is basically put lipstick on a pig. Inside, he's still going to run around in that slop. He's learned how to use his tongue, his throat, and his lips to get what he wants by being deceptive about it. That's why everyone who sits in the church pew is not necessarily saved just because they say the right words. If someone can be guide his feet to do these things, how much more can we not legislate those things? Let me just give you an example. Imagine if you go to a prison one day. This is an actual picture of a, a cell uh, I cannot imagine just uh, a four-foot slit of window, a stone circular table or, or chair to sit on. But, you know, and you're in solitary for 23 hours. You get out for one hour. That's, that's as much as some of us walk our dogs, right? I mean, it's pretty crazy. Or if you have a cat, try and leash a cat, see how that goes. It doesn't work. But after one hour, he goes back into that cell or she goes back into that cell. But say you stood face-to-face, eye-to-eye with that person. And you knew the history of these feet. They were quick to shed blood or do something so terrible that they have to be in a maximum security prison. And, and you heard the words that came out of that person's mouth and his tongue and his lips and everything. And, and, and you've never been more disturbed by any human being in your life. And you realize you can cage evil, but there's nothing you or I can do to eradicate that evil. Because there's no fear of God before their eyes. They are totally, radically depraved. Well, so You say, Darren, well, that's that guy or that girl. But here's a newsflash. Apart from Christ, you and I are no 
better off, are we? Well, he doesn't seek after God, yeah, but you didn't either, and I didn't either. Clearly, he doesn't understand what God did, but yeah, you didn't either, and I didn't either. Clearly, he doesn't do any good. Well, guess what? We didn't either. Clearly, he's not righteous. I mean, he got in there for a reason. Yeah, but I wasn't either. Clearly, his feet were swift to shed blood, but mine were as well. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, you heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty enough to face the fires of hell. Doesn't this just level the playing field? That's why as a church, when we come together, if there is a group in this church that says we are better than that group, or there's a church that says that we're going to do this way, or we're going to do that way, we don't care what the, what, the, what the word says, that's why this is such a reality for us. Because, friends, we are all sinners, and we all deserve the worst. But together, we come together, don't we, as saints who've been redeemed and forgiven by Christ, and that levels the playing field. It does. We believe that apart from the grace of God, we would be that person in that prison. You ever think about that? And unless we grasp that, we will never, ever properly understand or appreciate our debt to Christ. Unless we, or until we understand this, we will never grasp how worthy He is to be worshipped, how amazing it is. We believe that this serial killer, but we don't believe that often about ourselves. Friends, don't let Satan get into your minds and forget that. You have sinned. This could have been you. It could have been me. And we look back over our lives before Christ, and if we told the truth, we actually believe that there was something in us that, that saw God, that there was something in us that said, yeah, I've got a little spark, and this guy doesn't. Friends, there is nothing in us that God was attracted to so much that he himself had to come and die for us. Dr. Phil has nothing on the Bible's view of man. We don't. Instead, we ought to say with the Apostle Paul, I was the chief among sinners. I mean, if we don't understand our children and their greatest need, and we look at our behaviors of our children and correct those behaviors, but we don't understand the reason these little angels, these so-called innocent ones, do what they do, it's because of everything we just read. If you've ever had a toddler, you know that kid is absolutely perfect. Amen? One of the reasons that God makes human babies so small is they won't take out their parents in their sleep. Come on. If you can't say ouch, as one of my favorite preachers says, you ought to say amen. Because, friends, guess what? These cute babies, and I thought this was a pretty cute picture. don't know who they are. It's a stock photo, but they're cute nonetheless. By their very birth, they are evil. By their very birth, there's none righteous, no, not even one. Yes, they are precious. Yes, their lives should be protected. But if you, it, you better believe that they, outside of Christ, are so sinful that God himself had to rescue them. If you don't, you miss the big picture, and you don't realize that your desperate need to get the gospel to your child again and again and again and again and to your life again and again and again and again. Because, Christian, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up at home. You're going to mess up at work. You're going to mess up somewhere. And you have to remember that your great need is the gospel. Not to be saved again. Friends, we are saved once in Christ, and that is enough. But when you are saved, you need to remind yourself of the gospel all the time. Lord, I am a sinner, but I thank you that Jesus died for me. Lord, that was me. And I still fight that old sin nature at times and fall into temptation, but thank you, there's nothing that can take away what you've done for me. 
you know one of the reasons we don't preach the gospel to people around us outside of that fear, that frozen fear we get, I think, is because we really don't think they need it, to be quite honest. I mean, be honest about it. I mean, if that person really was sinking in a fire, would you just stand back and, and listen to your music? I know, No, you guys would be rushing in there, arm and limb, if that's what it took to save whoever it was. And we look at our lost loved ones and we see the inconvenience they bring when they come over to our house with their stuff. I don't mean their suitcases, and, and, and that's all we see. And as a result of seeing that, we just pray, Lord, when they come, will you please help them to just not be as horrible as they were last time? I mean, they ruined my dinner, Lord. Come on. But instead of praying, we should pray this. God, this is who they are. They are not righteous. They don't seek after you. They don't understand. They don't do good, nor do I. They haven't known the way of peace. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There's no fear of God before their eyes. But, Lord, they need the gospel. Lord, grant me wisdom to share what they need. And will you continue, Lord, to break my heart so I can share it again and again and again and again? And instead of praying, Lord, that they don't inconvenience me, help me to pray they, won't, that they will not be offended by me and my sin, but let them see you. Because the fact of the matter is, God, I'm much more concerned about my lost neighbors, my relatives, inconvenience me, Lord, that I am jealous about them coming to know you. I wrote that out, and I think it's an honest prayer that I've had often, because this is an easy issue. One reason we don't share the gospel is not because we're not trained enough, not because we don't know we need to, it's because we really don't see people as this passage lays it out. And that's why we're not on our faces before God weeping for our, our kids and our neighbors and our, our folks, because somehow we don't believe this. Because we believe there are somehow pockets of people in the world who are ignorant but not evil. We believe there are evil people all over the world, but somehow these people in our world who haven't heard the gospel, they're just not that bad. Friends, can I tell you this very clearly? That is much more American than it is biblical. Our neighbors need Christ. Our neighbors need these things. So surely God wouldn't condemn those people. Well, friends, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those who had no hope. He didn't die for those who had a little spark in themselves. And so what does this mean for us as we wrap up? Let me just give you a few quick things. I want to remind you as we close, and Amy will put this up, but every person in your life has inherent worth and dignity because they are created in the image of God. Isn't that amazing? After all we just read, God still allows people to be created in his image. I mean, if it were you and me, we'd be just like, guys, we're done. We're out of here. We're done. And one thing we know is that every person, whether they are red, yellow, you can finish it, black or white, they are all what? Precious in his sight. Truly, they are. This means, this is why we fight, as you know, for the unborn in the womb. This is why we believe that that person who says, my body, my choice is, is as lost as Romans 3 says, because they do not understand what is in them is truly life. From the moment of conception, a little baby is precious as it is. This is why when, when we hear of elder abuse and in situations, and maybe your family has been through this, my grandmother had this to some extent years ago, but when you hear about nursing homes and how they treat those in nursing homes at times, you look at them and you say, the world would say, well, what do they have to offer? And God looks at them and says, they may not have anything to offer the world, but I created them in my image, sinners as they were. When we look at a person and, and they're poor and destitute or 
or we have this debate, should we build this, should we not build this, should we shut down the government, should we not shut down the government, friends, the fact of the matter is we have to look at people as sinners, but we also have to see them as God has seen them, and that is he created them fearfully and wonderfully made in his sight. Poor, rich, athletic, New England Patriots, or Chiefs. Amen. But do you understand the point? The point is, is that even though the playing field has been level, God still creates in his image. And that's why, secondly, God's care is not just for the unborn, but for the born. The poor, the widowed, and alien. This is not a political statement as much as anything else, but friends, I have a feeling that if anyone of any race knocked on your door and asked for help, sincerely, you would give it to them because we know you well. But so many times we get wrapped up in things and thoughts and, and, and ideas that are non-biblical. I mean, what would you do if there was a Jew knocking on your door in World War II and you were in Nazi Germany? Would you hide them? Even if it's against the law, I, I, I think most of us here, here would. Because we know that person, although not a Christian, that is a way that God may use to bring them to know Jesus Christ. God's care is not just for the unborn, but for the poor, the widowed, and the alien. And, and, and let me just say this, and I kind of mentioned it, number three, but the world says, even though they're sinners, the world says to the elderly, we don't need you anymore. You're old. You turned 80 today. There's some, we're, well, oh, hi, Don. I told I wouldn't pick on him, but I did. But you know what the church says to such people? Sinners as we are. The church says that we have a great need of you. Teach us, lead us, and lead us in the old paths. Because you've walked with the Lord longer than I've been alive. And my wife has been alive. And you've been married more than my kids. And my wife and I almost combined some of you in a good way. Even though we believe that everyone is a sinner. If we believe that everyone has worth and value. What a praise God that is. And finally, if you're here today and you have committed an abortion. Can I just be straight up honest with you? Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. Stealing a donut from Quick Trip to level the playing field is not the unforgivable sin. There are degrees of sin, and that's a whole other sermon, but it is a sin that the Lord Jesus died to forgive, to save, and to heal. If you're here today, and that has happened to you, you may still have consequence for that, but I want to let you know if that happened to you, you can be honest about that. We love you. We care for you. We want you to know that no matter if that's happened to someone in your life, God is still able to forgive. Friends, I just want you to think about these things. God should have squashed us out of the earth, but he didn't. God should have thrown us all into the gates of hell, but he hasn't. What an awesome God that is, amen? That you and I, despite our sin, we can look at these faith lessons, these statements, and say, Lord, thank you. Your, the sin we have is not cheap. Your death was not cheap. But, Father, even when we sin, you are faithful to us. What a joy. This is why, as we go forward as a church, and people come to us, and, and they may be different than us, they may be different in any sort of way, May our church continue to fuel that fire of care, whatever it is. If you know, can I just throw this out there? If you know someone who is going to have an abortion, you know what? I bet we could pool enough money in one Sunday service to take care of that baby for years to come. Amen? 
How do we deal with these things? Friends, I don't have all the answers to these. There are people who have written on this much better. But one thing I want you to remember is that the greatest message all these folks need in all their life is that they are so sinful God died for them, but they're not so sinful God would ever let them go. He will forgive them. What a joy that is. As we close, I want you to just bow your heads with me. And as we close, I want you just to take a moment and I want you to pray and ask God, say, Lord, if there's someone that I have viewed less sinful than they are outside of Jesus Christ, forgive me. Lord, if there are those in Christ that, that, that I have looked at differently because they're not of my fill-in-the-blank, socioeconomic class, race, background, Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, would you forgive me if, if I've not shared the gospel with someone because I don't think they need it as bad as this other guy over here? But Lord, would you th- just thank the Lord that you have the gospel and you have been forgiven. God, thank you so much. Lord, as we close, we just we do thank you, Lord, that whatever has been naturally to us, Lord, by your spirit, you have exchanged that out to be saved by Christ alone. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that does not know Jesus, Lord, I think the bad news has been presented very clearly, but I pray that by your Spirit they would know that it's only through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, by turning from their sin and trusting in the work of Christ, they confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart, God raised Him from the dead, they will be saved. Father, thank You for that message, and thank You, Lord, that even though we should have been ridded a long time ago, you still allow us to have the worth of being a human being. Not because we're worthy, Father, clearly, but because even despite our sin, we have dignity. Even despite our sin, Lord, there is value, Father, as us as people. Not to get to heaven, not for salvation, but certainly because you have fearfully and wonderfully made us. Father, forgive us if our snap judgments, if our grudges, if our whatevers have overtaken that within our lives. Thank you for Jesus. We love him so much. We look forward to heaven with him forever. Lord, we give you these things and more in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.